You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. This episode of No Love Lost is brought to you by FredHeBakes.com. That's FredHeBakes.com. Guys, it's the holiday season, so why not go ahead and treat yourself to some delicious baked goods? Or maybe even get some baked goods as a holiday treat for your friends and family. Head on over to FredHeBakes.com and get yourself some delicious brown sugar buddies, maple brown sugar buddies, or big chip buddies. They are delicious and fabulous. They're wonderful. Just go, go, go get them. They're fantastic. And if you use the coupon code NOLOVELOST, you'll get 20% off of your order. So once again, go to fredhebakes.com, use that coupon code NOLOVELOST for 20% off of your order. And if you're looking for other ways to support the podcast, head on over to thepodcastjukebox.com and get yourself some No Love Lost merchandise, like No Love Lost t-shirts and Crazy About Kurt t-shirts. Guys, we're in the middle of the holiday season right now, and I just wanted to wish you all well. We hope you guys are staying safe and staying healthy and doing everything you can to treat each other with kindness, love, and respect because it is the season of goodwill towards men. And I know that that is really, really hard in 2020. Being caring and compassionate towards one another is the only way we're going to get through this. So hang in there. 2020 is almost over. Just thank you guys so, so much for everything. We love you. And on that note, Michelle, if you would be so kind. Let's go to the island. I would like to see the polar bears. There was a crash, and there are others, and there are numbers, and it all means something supposedly. But even though there are times we go back debatable megan i had a vision and we need to do it exactly <laughs> if we ever want to finish this podcast wait we need to wait do it exactly the way i saw it and you're not pulling my leg like this this isn't going to be some convoluted scheme where you think that this is going to result in me liking lost at the end of the day when in fact it's actually going to just get me killed I swear to you, you will not get an arrow into your neck. Oddly specific, but okay, I see no reason not to trust you. Welcome back to No Love Loss, the podcast in which we, I don't know, psychically uh, (laughs) (laughs) go over the connect with the great television series Lost. I'm Will Lincoln with me as always. Megan Salinas, hey everybody. And we are here to talk about Season 3, Episode 17, Catch 22. Uh, Megan, have you ever read the book Catch 22? I have not. I know that there was a Hulu adaptation recently that I also have not watched. I have not read it either. Nor have I watched the Hulu adaptation or the movie from the 70s, but I use the term Catch-22 all the time. Wow. (laughs) 
Girl. I have never felt more literarily inept than I do in this moment. <laughs> um, this episode is written by Jeff Pinker and Brian K. Vaughn. Interesting, Brian K. Vaughn, he is a comic book writer. He is kind of most famous for, he's got that comic, uh, Why the Last Man, which I know was a big hit. Oh, yeah. Okay. And this is the first of seven episodes that he will be the writer on. The only one for season three. Most of his episodes are season four, season five. Well, that's fun that we have a comic book writer on this episode because, like, the the main scene that we keep cutting back to in this episode sort of revolves around a conversation about a couple comic book characters. Uh, and this is directed by Stephen Williams, who has directed so many great uh, Lost episodes. And I believe also directed some Watchmen episodes, if I'm not mistaken. I think oh, he might be, from, I think he from mi- the HBO series? Yes, I think he might be nominated for an Emmy for oh, that's direction neat. on that. Uh, so clearly he's still working with uh, Lindelof there. Good for him. Because, yeah, he's he's a very good director. If I I don't think Lost would work with him and Jack Bender to the extent that they would if, like, if they weren't, like, real... If they didn't feel... If the producers didn't feel strongly about the directorial abilities of these two people. Well, and also, you're balancing so many characters and so many storylines. So it, it makes sense that you would keep seeing these guys pop up and direct episodes over and over. And I mean, occasionally you do have someone else come in and direct something, but it, it makes sense that you need kind of some steady hands who are there consistently to guide them through a production this that goes on this long with this many moving parts. Yeah. The, the more complicated the production, the more you want people who have the context for what's going on both in the in the story and the characters, but also in just the technical day-to-day stuff of like how production works. And this is a Desmond episode. Which Yes, in, it is. Which I always enjoy seeing Desmond. I do too. I will say that I think that so far this has been the Desmond episode that I enjoy the least. I would agree. But but it's also still like head and shoulders above what like other character flashback episodes kind of well, give us consistently. Well, this flashback is interesting because for the fir- if we just take the flashback for like two thirds of this flashback, or maybe even more, maybe until the last scene of the flashback, it's doing a thing that many flashbacks this se- season have. Uh, annoyed us with where it's like where does this fit into this person's timeline like Locke with the commune and kate with nathan fillion and it's like where does this and for a lot of this it's doing that thing but then it pays it off in the last scene yes absolutely i i i concur with that 100 percent for the majority of the flashback, it feels like it's just reinforcing that Desmond is a person who used to run away from his problems and to an extent kind of still is, but you know, he's working on it. Well, and that it also see like 
sought to uh, explain why he calls everyone brother. And it's yeah. like, that's not a thing we well, need that, it explained. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> one of those things that they're like, we need to answer the mystery of why he calls people brother. Well, that's not necessary. No, we didn't. And so uh, you're absolutely right. For the majority of the flashback, it feels very much like a season three, we're spinning our wheels flashback. But ooh, that payoff. Ooh, that payoff makes it worth it. This show, this show, if they knew anything, they knew how to use Penny and Desmond and just, just <laughs> crush us with it. You know, they just, they knew that. <laughs> For all this show's shortcomings, Penny and Desmond stuff, I would say probably nine times out of ten is done right. For all this show's very few shortcomings. <laughs> so, Excuse me, here's a list of 30 years of disagreements. So, um, the flashback begins with... Wait, 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 we gotta do that thing we do. Oh, see, that's why you're in charge of it, because I always forget. Well, it's... Will, it's because you're just so excited to talk about Lost. And yeah. I'm not, so I will look for any and all opportunity to stall. <laughs> so, if for whatever reason this is your first episode of No Love Lost, just as a heads up, we will potentially be spoiling things from any given point in time in the Lost series timeline. So you could get potentially spoilers for the end of the series. You have been warned! So... Desmond is in a monastery and he's taken a vow of silence. And immediately I'm like, I have questions. Where? When? <laughs> what are we doing? And this, the head monk comes in and he's basically like, I got to tell you, when you first got here, I never thought you'd do it, but you've kept this vow of silence long enough that, uh, you know, we can drop it and you can be uh, you can be a monk with us. And, uh, you know, the one thing that is uh, true about Desmond for all his uh, running away from things, for all his problems, he is able to, he is a man who can show great discipline. Like, we've seen it. We've seen it with him in that hatch. You know, that takes discipline. So, no doubt in my mind, he can uh, vow a silence, no problem. Well, you know what that is, Will? It's the productivity of someone procrastinating. Uh, you know when I get the most amount of housework done? When? When I'm tr putting off working on this podcast. <laughs> when I'm like, uh, I don't want to sit down and edit this episode together. You know what? I need to take out the trash. I need to do my dishes. I need to do my laundry. I need to uh, sweep off the, the deck of this balcony that I literally use never. And oh, guess what? I guess I've decided that I'm going to decorate this balcony now. Anything to avoid having to sit down and do the one thing I actually have to do. So he's able to take a vow of silence because it beats marrying that poor girl. I guess so, man. Poor Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> that poor girl. But like, don't you come across that? Like if you're, if there's something you really don't want to do, you'll find anything uh, otherwise productive to do to avoid doing well, it, right? What you and I differ is uh, what you just said, otherwise productive. Um, <laughs> I mean, how productive is watching like a movie on the Criterion channel? 
Uh, depends. Is it for uh, a podcast or uh, a book that you're working on? No. Or to broaden your horizons and uh, <laughs> learn something about a subject you were previously not as versed in. Yes. <laughs> okay, then that's that's more. It, it's more worthwhile than you're giving yourself credit for. But I guess I have no excuse for like, oh, let me pop in the Star Wars prequels for no reason. <laughs> If it makes you feel better, uh, I've been sitting down and watching old episodes of The Simpsons on Disney Plus on on days where I just like feel like I can't be productive. And I'm just like, it's just Simpsons now. (laughs) It's just Simpsons now. I almost put on one of the prequels the other day. And then I said, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) But I have a feel. I don't know. I feel like we're getting to the point in quarantine where I'm going to do like a complete Star Wars movie rewatch. Uh, what order are you going to do them with? Release order, machete order, or um, episode order? Episode order, which is a way okay. I would never do it if I was showing it to somebody the first time. If I was showing it to somebody the first time, I would do release order. If you do it any other way, I think you're insane. <laughs> I I also concur. I think re- if you're unfamiliar, release order is the best way to go. If you're already versed, then do whatever order you want. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Do whatever you want. If you just, if you want to watch, like, if you want to go Phantom Menace and then skip right to Jedi, be my guest. Do whatever you want. <laughs> but let's get back on track here. Um, the point watch is. Watch one episode of Lost, then watch all the Star Wars movies, and then watch another episode of Lost. The That's point the is, ideal order. You're right. Desmond's procrastinating. He didn't put on an old movie. Instead, he became a monk. <laughs> Which is one thing to do. And, you know, he's helping them package up the wine that the monks sell. And they they have this discussion about uh, Isaac and Abraham. And basically, Desmond's like, he kind of takes my attitude of this as like, hey, God, that's really a shitty thing to ask Abraham to do. Yeah, because they're they're talking specifically about uh, the the mountain where Abraham brought up Isaac to be sacrificed, and God stopped him at the last moment uh, as as a way like since uh, since Abraham passed the test of faith, there was no need to kill his son. But yeah, anybody like the the moral of that story is always have faith in God. But like the horrifying subtext of that is like he was really gonna kill his son. That's terrible. But, what kind of messed up story is this? But the the head monk says, well, it's about sacrifice. You got to be willing to make sacrifices. And why is there always someone older in Desmond's life that's basically telling him, like, you're never going to be worth anything? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> And that's not exactly what this guy is saying. He's saying like sometimes that great things require sacrifice or something like that. But like, I I just feel like every flashback person in Desmond's life is like, you suck, Desmond. Well, I want to get back to the sacrifice thing, but I want to save it for when we get to the uh, island. Because it does come into play, but I'm not necessarily sure what they're saying. But I I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. 
No, um, uh, we'll we'll get back to it because I like this is one of the examples where Lost the show actually points out the parallel, like very much overtly points out the parallel between the flashback and what's going on on the island. And I have some thoughts about that, so we'll we'll get to it soon. But back in the flashback, right after they have this conversation, a man comes in and punches Desmond in the face. <laughs> then does the sign of the cross and then is like, okay, peace out, everybody. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you go to a monastery and, you know, you, you shouldn't necessarily go in there to punch people. So, but Desmond knows what what's the, up with this man. <laughs> it's like, he knows what he did. Yeah, I know what I did. <laughs> and he's not in the wrong. <laughs> He goes to the man's house because who's in this man's house? A woman, Ruth, the man's sister. And he wants to see her because as it turns out, he left her right before their wedding. They were supposed to be married. And then a week before the wedding, he just disappears. He he ghosted her. What the heck? And Ruth is pissed about this. And she should be, for many reasons. But one being, like, he's turned it into, like, he's had some sort of religious experience. Like, some come-to-Jesus moment about this. And she's like, you haven't had a religious experience in the six years I've known you. The 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 way he describes it is he's like, "I, I was looking up towards the sky, and I was wondering, am I doing the right thing? And then the next thing I know, I'm on the ground elsewhere. I don't know how I got there. And the man offering to help me up was a man, you know, with a rope around his waist and wearing a monk robe. And that's when I I felt this calling. I knew I had to become a monk. And it's like, so you got blast, like you got plastered at your bachelor party and a monk helped you up after you blacked out, after you regained consciousness, and you were like, well, guess I can't get married now because that gentleman helped me up. I must yeah. follow him into his profession. And as as Ruth said, like, is, what, if a shepherd picked you up, would you be out there with sheep or something? Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> also, you know, I mean, have you ever seen a monk out in society? <laughs> um, I mean, I... Mean, I- I'm, Not a monk, but I did go to Catholic school, so I saw nuns on occasion. I'm certain I must have seen a monk out in society at some point. I've been I'm out in society a lot. Not lately, but I used to be. And but I don't think monks are wandering the drunken streets of England in the middle of the night, are they? Uh I mean They're looking for people like Desmond to recruit. <laughs> These monks are that screwed up. <laughs> You think this is a monk's conspiracy? <laughs> the monks go out to try to, to recruit. I don't think that's necessarily the case because I think this guy was probably just making a uh, wine delivery to a bar, saw Desmond passed out on the street in front of the bar and just chose to help him up. <laughs> because um, Desmond is the one that was like, let me join your awesome club. And the ev- the only other monk we really get to spend any time with is like, I don't know about this, the entire episode. <laughs> but you know what? Let me say this. You're right. But because none of it matters. Actually, and none of the story even matters. Because as Ruth points out, just tell 
the girl, you're too bloody scared. And that yep. goes into Desmond running away from a problem, Desmond procrastinating, Desmond goes, you know what, why try to just talk to Penny when you could just win a race around the world? You know, why... <laughs> That should make my feelings and intentions clear. <laughs> why get married to a woman you've been with for six years when you could just join a monastery? Like, Desmond, like, I'll give him credit. He, like, when he runs away from shit, he, he runs away. <laughs> he runs so far into the opposite direction that he catapults himself into new professions. <laughs> it's kind of remarkable. Like, I remember about halfway through, um, the flashback episode, just like his time at the at the monastery, I was just kind of like, wow, what eclectic, interesting lives everybody on this island lived before coming to the island. So next time we see him in the flashback, he is drunk on the wine. and basic- Drunk on charity wine, Will. That's like definitely a sin, probably. <laughs> And, you know, the head monk comes in and he's like, hey, uh, I don't think you're cut out for this. <laughs> and, you're you fired. Know, yeah, he basically fires him. Uh, and he's like, what are you, what am I supposed to do now? And the monk's like, like, you know, whatever comes next. So, next day. That may be the most unrealistic thing about this episode, though, is just actual consequences for a religious figure that did something wrong. <laughs> oh, that they just like, yeah, he's the only monk to get kicked out. <laughs> You're um, out of the club. Get out. <laughs> and, I hope you uh, learned a valuable lesson. <laughs> well, the next day he hands in his robes, but they're like, hey, you know, if you don't mind uh, carrying some wine around, like we get you a ride into the into the city he's like yeah of course and he's like very happily wow because desmond's a good guy and um he's gonna help put this wine in a car and who's picking up the wine her uh, it's penny oh it's penny yay they have in an episode that has a lot of flirting um, we'll get to some of that other flirting later. They have <laughs> they have some really great flirting. Like he flirts about being an ex-monk and they're laughing about him getting fired. And then... They just have such awesome chemistry it's together. It's real easy. She basically... Uh, um, oh, so you can help me... Uh, with the, like with these crates and when we go to Carlisle and they make this joke about him going with her and it's like it's like they like it's a love at first sight thing and really I, I thought this was a very middling flashback until the end which I think is so wonderful yeah like the rest of the flashback is pretty forgettable but that that last scene it really does it makes the whole trip worth it if that makes any sense I, I think it does. Yeah, yeah. I think our big problem with a lot of the season three flashbacks is that there's no final scene in a lot of them 
that give it that narrative weight. Like we talked about this with uh, Saeed's episode as well. That final scene um, with him and the woman that he tortured, uh, like that brings the whole thing around. Like it's it's super, super good. And a, a lot of the, the flashbacks in this season just sort of lack that scene with that final punch that puts an excellent button on the the flashback story as a whole and yeah that ending salvages what would have been a very very basic very forgettable flashback episode for a character with a lot of remarkable flashback episodes so it it works it works so let's go to the island but let's kind of go to a vision within the island, which this is where the episode starts. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. <laughs> so the episode begins with Desmond leading Hurley, Charlie, and Jin through the jungle. And Hurley and Charlie are, are, um... They're basically uh, having a movie fight. <laughs> yeah, they're debating about who can win in a race, Superman or The Flash. Which uh, it's such a shame that this that these two were were the, on this island at like the birth of like internet uh, nerd cult like before that internet nerd cultural explosion because Charlie and Hurley would have had a killer podcast and like they would rule the YouTube space just talking about like okay who's gonna win in a fight they were basically doing death battle in this episode before death battle was a thing <laughs> Megan who who is who would win in a race Superman and the Flash uh there's actually an episode of um from the the Batman Superman animated series where Superman and the Flash have a race and of course the race gets thwarted by um what you call it uh bad guys I, it's been so long since I've seen the episode I I don't recall the exact scenario There are scenario. a couple of these though right there are a couple of like on TV shows and uh comics where yeah. they race right where they race and it always ends with like them being like well the race got disrupted so let's start over and and we'll start from scratch and then they start the race and then usually the episode ends if it, you want my honest answer i'm gonna just sort of shrug and say it depends on what canon you're looking at because in you know in those christopher reeve movies he can fly around the world so fast that time moves backwards <laughs> but the flash has also run so fast that he's altered time and space around him so my answer to that is who cares <laughs> because they're both great i um i understand like the flash's whole thing is speed and he probably could win because of that but uh um Anyone who bets against Superman ever is a fool, if you ask me. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. So they're having this fun debate. And then all of a sudden, Charlie steps on a booby trap. And an arrow shoots out of the jungle and hits him in the neck. And everyone goes crazy. And Charlie dies. And even though this is grisly and horrific, in the back of the audience's mind we have to be going it's okay this is just a vision this is just a vision it's it, it's okay but it's still grisly it was really bloody it was blo- i remembered this but i didn't remember how bloody it was i mean it was it's it may 
I don't know if it's the most graphic death scene we've gotten on the show so far, but it's definitely up there, man. Um, but and then it's we- a character we love, too. And we're just like watching the life go out of his eyes as he chokes on his own blood. That's messed up. Then we quickly realize, if we didn't already, it is a Desmond premonition. Desmond's like fishing and he has this vision. And he has these flashes, one of which involves uh, someone parachuting uh, onto the island, one of which involves Hurley with finding the cable in the sand. So Desmond immediately goes to Hurley and he's like, hey, where's that, uh, where's that cable? And he's, <laughs> Hurley's so great. <laughs> and yeah, Hurley's, Hurley's great with Desmond, especially then when they go to, um, Desmond basically is like, someone's coming. We got to do this. We got to do my vision. And they go to Jack to get the first aid kit. And yeah, Hurley's like, Okay, Hurley, Desmond gives Hurley some crap for not being nonchalant or whatever, but (laughs) Desmond's not being all that nonchalant, too. He's talking about sprained ankle. He's walking around just fine. Like, Jack sees through Desmond, too. Like, you know. Yeah, but Jack also respects him enough to be like, you know what, you do you. Just bring it back. (laughs) Like, I can, you're definitely lying to me, but I, I've had a long couple weeks I'm just going to let it go, which is not a thing I'm accustomed to. (laughs) But we quickly realized that unlike some of the things like the Charlie death and stuff, that Hurley puts it together that Desmond wants everything to happen. Like he needs the events he saw to happen, which immediately is great because it puts these stakes. Like now as an audience, we have these stakes of, Desmond needs Charlie to die, question mark? Yeah, is is it going to be a, we know Desmond's a good guy. We know that he has gone out of his way to try to save Charlie on multiple occasions, but ultimately feels like it's an uphill battle that he can't win. And now he's presented with a scenario of, hey, you let Charlie die like he's supposed to, as is the natural order of things, and you get reunited with Penny. And so, like, it's kind of hard to argue when, like, you know somebody's destined to die and you get reunited with the love of your life, like, you know, who you who you thought you might never, ever see again because you're on this magical death island. <laughs> like... We can understand, especially if he feels like it is pointless to try to save Charlie, that like, so our question is, is he going to sacrifice Charlie so that he can be reunited with Penny? And that's the thing that's in the back of our heads. And so that's why when he goes to get the first aid kit is that like, so he can maybe attempt to perform triage so that things can potentially go according to plan or uh, yeah it's it's like even as he's doing it Desmond is like everything has to go according to plan uh, according to the way I saw it but also does it like you can you can see him struggling with it every step of the way well what's crazy is he goes to recruit well first they recruit Jin in a very like funny light hurly scene where he tells Jin like basically hey the boys we're gonna go camping it's gonna be fun like kind of thing 
You know, we the girls have gotten some girls trips before, so we thought we'd go on a bro camping trip. And that honestly sounds like so much fun. And Would you go on a camping trip with Hurley? With that, the, with that crew, <laughs> yes. I would. I would. It, look, it would be a fun time, right? It's better than going on a camping trip with like Locke and Saeed. Oh, no, no. Saeed's going to be sulking the whole time because John Locke's a madman. <laughs> um, so anyway, but then he has to recruit Charlie. And yeah, there was this idea of, as the episode unfolds, would anything have been different if Charlie had been left behind? And uh, I don't, I don't think, so. I think, I think it would have gone down basically the same, right? I mean, I get why Desmond doesn't take that chance, but I, yeah, that's I, I part think... of the thing that that it's like, oh, is Charlie about to die for no reason? Yeah, exactly. Like, I think Desmond's mentality is that he wants everything to line up as perfectly as he as it can, because I I mean, in the back of his head, he's got to be thinking about the butterfly effect, right? Like, if just one thing is off with this scenario, then the entire thing will change. Like, that person might not land on this island. Like, like it could lead to some unforeseen change that I'd never be able to anticipate. You know, something that is seemingly unrelated would somehow cause the entire scenario to be different. And I think that's what Desmond is trying to prevent. That being said, I don't think anything our boys were doing would have been affected would have affected what happens with the helicopter and the parachuter. I, I think the only difference is that all of them being there, they found where the parachute person was. They yeah, saw the helicopter go down true. and then they they knew where to go. Like if they hadn't gone on the camping trip, they might not have seen or heard the helicopter to begin with. So I I get it to an extent because Desmond doesn't quite know where he's going when he sets out on this trip. So the boys start marching down the beach. They're even whistling uh, the the tune from Bridge on the River Kwai, one of my personal favorite films. <laughs> Just the fact that they're whistling it. It's like from that far shot uh, of the four of them with do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> it's so good. Um, and then they're on the beach. And they find the wire, which is what Desmond was looking for. Hurley knew he was looking for that. Uh, but Jin's the one who spots it first, though, right? I think so. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't necessarily think it matters, but yeah, they find it. And it's like, oh, here's the wire. And then they're like, well, let's camp here tonight. This will be where we camp. Yeah, because... I, and I can't tell if that's Desmond just trying to stall for time because he he's waiting for more pieces of the puzzle to align. Well, he he, he knows the parachuter comes at night. Okay, that's it. Cuz like the vision. Cuz yeah, he, the, the excuse he gives is that it's getting dark and they don't want to go into the into the jungle where there are definite death traps. Set by Rousseau. <laughs> Cuz she is very thorough. <laughs> so, um there's this other great like fun scene where Jin is telling a ghost story and 
and they're really into it. Uh, oh, uh, this was so good. This was so good because, like, you don't know what he's saying, but the way he's saying it is perfect scary story delivery. Um, and, you know, while that's happening, you know, there's uh, Charlie comes over to Desmond. They kind of have a little private moment where they talk about about Penny. And they talk about uh, uh, how he says the thing about how he thinks Penny is, uh, you know, out there looking for him. He said any amount of money, uh, you know, you got enough time, money, you can find anyone kind of thing. And Yeah, she's that. done it before. Yeah. So... So they're having that conversation, and wouldn't you know, while they're talking about that very thing, all of a sudden, faintly in the background, a little good. They did a good job with the audio here, because faintly in the background, you start to hear a helicopter, and like the characters kind of realize it when we start to kind of realize it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They they let the audio linger just long enough, and then uh, we see that the helicopter crashes into the ocean. And yeah, they don't know there goes another mode of transportation off this stupid rock. <laughs> uh, like, are we going to get rescued? I don't know. Like, um, but then they notice a beacon in the sky and somebody has parachuted out of the helicopter and they have landed somewhere in the jungle. And Desmond believes this is Penny and he needs to go. But Charlie is like, let's wait until morning. Like, let's wait till first light. Like, they're booby traps in that jungle. Like, yeah. let's be Desmond careful. made the mistake of telling Charlie, uh, you're definitely going to die. I've seen it multiple times. <laughs> he made the mistake of telling Charlie that, which, don't get me wrong, it wasn't a mistake. I'm glad he was honest with him. But, like... It's a mistake in terms of wanting to to maintain subterfuge on this little outing. So, you know, they they wait. He gives them like, because they even said it's going to be light soon. He goes, we'll go at first light. So then they're traipsing through the jungle. Um, and, you know... There's, um, oh, wait, that's hold when, on a second. That's, uh, they find okay. the bag first, right? Sorry. Apologies. Yeah. I, I lost my place in the episode. They find their- <laughs> no, it's okay. Like, in Desmond at this point, he has kind of gone, like, he's gone a little John Locke. Like, he's in the full, like, zealot mode about his visions and the way, like, things have to be. You know, he's getting mad if people try to sit down. He doesn't like, we got to go on. We got to press on. Like, he's getting Well, because the way he puts it, I mean, like, based on what his vision was, that person who parachuted uh, looked pretty lifeless. And instead of going out immediately, uh, like, it's been hours since that person landed. So I, I understand him being a little antsy, especially if he thinks that's Penny. But yeah, I mean, it is what it is. So I'm not gonna say he's not being John Locke. <laughs> so they find they find this uh this bag. And in the bag there is there are a few important items. 
there's a, a copy of Catch-22. <laughs> uh, written in a different language, and now I'm blanking on what language it was written in. Um, there is a satellite phone. That could come in handy. That could definitely come in handy. And there's a photo of Desmond and Penny. And it, that is basically all the proof that Desmond and company need to determine that the person who was in that helicopter was, in fact, Penny. And Desmond kind of now finally, like, breaks down about, to Charlie and stuff, about his vision that he, and he didn't tell him things because he didn't want things to change. And Charlie basically... Uh, in a moment that's got to kill Desmond because he knows what's coming. Says says basically like, hey, if we're going to find your girl, like, why would we want it to change? Why would we want to change anything? <laughs> oh, man. That like, because it's such a sincere and like nice line from Charlie. And it's like, and by the way, it's a line that may have saved Charlie's life. In a way, when exactly. you think about it. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> so then... We get back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the having... conversation comes up. And the second they get to that stuff about the Flash and Superman, you see Desmond like, uh-oh, it's going to happen soon. It's a and good we... thing they were having such a distinct and memorable uh, set of dialogue. And he sees the arrow, and he sees where Charlie's going. And now this is the moment. This is the, is God going to intervene or am I Abraham and going to kill my son moment? And now this is where like, and I don't know whether they're just, whether it's muddled a bit with the, with the, like the, the comparison they're making or like, what do you think the show is trying to say? Because that like God doesn't intervene. That's not a thing. Um, but Desmond doesn't let Charlie die. Desmond intervenes. So is that going against God? Is that not like he doesn't make the sacrifice and he's going to pay for that? Or like, I'm I'm a little, like, I understand the comparison, but I don't quite know what the show is saying with it. I, I think that because... Desmond has a religious background. Granted, it is it is not a religious background that worked out for him, but because he has a religious background, it's natural to frame the order of the world in the context of that of that particular religion, that this being, you know, Christianity. And he has been told in no uncertain terms that when the universe has decided someone is going to die, it is impossible to go against destiny in that regard. So your fate, you can't fight fate. And whether you want to call that fate, destiny, the universe, or God is irrelevant. It is a fact that can't be changed. It can only be delayed, you know, that sort of thing. And so... Desmond already knows that Charlie is destined to die. And in this 
particular scenario, he's like, if I allow Charlie to die, if I sacrifice him, then I will get reunited with Penny. Yeah, because it's not even like a, if I murder Charlie, I'll get what I want. Uh, It's a, if I allow the universe to run its proper course, then I will get the thing that I have been so desperately longing for. Uh, And... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. But he ultimately doesn't. Well, that's ul- that's that's the thing is that it's at the end of the day, sacrificing Charlie wouldn't have gotten him reunited with Penny. Um, so the way he's framing this is completely different than the scenario that's actually being presented. It's actually just sort of the rationalization he's using to say it's okay to let Charlie die. But because he's a good man, he doesn't allow him, like, he ultimately can't do it. He ulti- Even though he's a coward that runs away from his problems, when there's a friend standing in front of him whose death he can prevent, he cannot stand by and do nothing. He's a good person. But you're absolutely right the metaphor here is mixed. And if you want to justify that from a writing standpoint, it's that's how Desmond is rationalizing this very terrible thing he's going to allow to happen to his friend. But at the end of the day, can't do it. So my my big thing here isn't that the metaphor doesn't really line up in terms of like, oh, if I said, like that... That to me, in terms of like, oh, if I if I uh, if I choose to sacrifice Charlie, the island will give me my reward because that is John Locke talk. <laughs> Charlie is not a sacrifice that the island demanded, but I guess he is. But no, that's John Locke talk. That's not Desmond talk. Um, so to me, the issue isn't really so much in using this to set up what's using that particular Bible story to set up what's going on on the island. My big problem with this whole thing is Desmond blatantly saying how the two things are connected because we as an audience get (coughs) that there's that parallel and we get that he's a good person who ultimately can't stand by and do nothing, you know? So I feel like we didn't, really need to have it hammered in for us and so that that to me is i'm like oh that feels really clunky and weird at least that's my take do you feel like this is just straight up mixed like i don't know what they were going for i think they they had something they were going for and it doesn't quite connect in the way that they want it to connect i don't think it i don't even think it's so bad but it just doesn't quite maybe that's why Maybe that's why they threw in that line of dialogue with him bringing it up on the island. They were like, see, it, he's trying to make this connection when in fact, like, they were just sort of mixed up in their allegories. <laughs> I don't know. Well, later they... Because I feel like like if you want to talk about, like, better metaphors for that particular circumstance, why not go with, like, Book of Job? Like Job endured hardships and got his reward as opposed to I'm going to kill that guy, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Like if I endure this hardship of being on the island and losing my friend, like ultimately I will get the thing because I, I, 
I don't know. I don't know. Um, so they then trying to figure out where the it where um Penny quote unquote may have landed. <laughs> uh, they seem to have some difference of opinion of which way she might have landed. So they decide to split up, and Charlie specifically wants to go with Desmond. And Charlie basically is like, you knew, and you were going to sacrifice me. The Abraham thing again. Yeah. Um, Charlie calls him out. And Desmond's not proud of this. Like, you know, Desmond Desmond was going to sacrifice him, but then he didn't. But, like, again, to his credit, he points out, like, it's pointless. Like, I've saved you, like, half a dozen I've times it already. Over it's and over. And so, like, on the one hand it's messed up and Charlie has every right to be upset. On the other hand, you get the frustration that Desmond is experiencing because he's like, how many times am I going to have to save you before I can't, you know? Um, and after Desmond kind of has that breakdown, uh, we find that there is a person who parachuted down and they're stuck in the tree and they are not looking good. They're looking very like limp. And Desmond, very furiously, he goes to climb up. To the, first, he cuts down the parachute so they could, like, kind of have something to catch her in. And then he goes to cut her down. And this is actually also beautifully cross-cut with him meeting Penny and flirting with her for the first time. It's great. Time. That, that bit is absolutely excellent. Great bit of editing. And they get her down and... Like, you know, he's not letting any, everyone's trying to, like, help, but he's, like, basically, like, He's get pulling away. a Charlie right now. Everybody get away yeah. from, <laughs> everybody get away from my girlfriend. And he's so excited. It's like, it's going to be Penny. And he pulls off the helmet. And, of course, it's not Penny. And instead, it's, um, lady whose name I forget. Naomi. Naomi, good old Naomi. Oh, we, man. we know Naomi. <laughs> when when what happens to Naomi happens to her at the end of the season, I have a feeling you're going to have some issues, Megan. Probably. If you, remember, <laughs> if you remember what happens to her. I I don't. Does she die in the boat explosion? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's much Does she worse. get shot by somebody? She probably gets shot by somebody. No, 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 no. Okay, no. don't spoil it now, I guess. <laughs> or do. I don't care. <laughs> Uh, now, ultimately she doesn't matter um but if i remember correctly naomi and, and if i'm not remembering this correctly i'm really pulling some shit out of my ass if i remember correctly naomi uh is in a relationship with uh, a woman played by zoe bell the great uh stunt woman on the freighter i don't remember i don't remember I, I don't, any of that i don't know i mean i can't i can't be pulling that out of my ass right that has to, there's no way i just make that up that has to be something that happens i hope so <laughs> but like i also don't know or remember but like i don't know it's always nice to give you know these 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 less prominent characters like more rounded out personalities and backstories and stuff like that and interconnected relationships. So I I guess, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't really remember anything about Naomi. 
so uh, and I didn't even realize that she didn't make it to the end of the season. In my head, she's like she sticks around for a little while, but uh, I guess not. <laughs> she sticks around for a few episodes. Um, but anyway, it's Naomi. Hey, um, Naomi. <laughs> and she recognizes him. She's like Desmond, and it's like what <sighs> lost. Yep. So at the very least, she, I mean, and she had the photo. So presumably she came there on a mission to get Desmond. Desmond but on whose uh, behalf? Bum, bum, bum. Desmond's going to want answers and so is the audience. But there is another storyline happening during this. There's a B story. Yeah, beach time stuff. So Sawyer is knocking on Kate's door and he calls her Freckles. Where she's like, hey, you're not allowed to give nicknames. Although I don't consider Freckles to be like a derogatory Also, nickname. has it been a week? Yeah. <laughs> How much time has passed since then? Um, <laughs> when did they leave to go get Jack? It's been a couple days it's at least. It's been a while. Uh, but Sawyer doesn't wait for her to tell him to come in. He starts walking in right as she's getting dressed. And not- Sawyer... You know, very, I don't know, comedically, can't stop looking at her body. I think this is a little weird because it's <laughs> like, come on, guys, you've already slept together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, And he's like, uh, you told Jack about you and me. And she's like, I didn't have to. The others had cameras everywhere. And Sawyer's like, cameras, perverts. <laughs> I did like that. That was a good line read. Just like this is a that is absurd. I I do appreciate when an absurd, rather large plot point is treated with the proper level of absurdity. <laughs> and um, so it turns out Sawyer's there looking for sex, little afternoon delight. Um, and Kate's not having any. Well, that might not have been his idea initially but definitely was after he went to the tent (laughs) so later we see kate talking to jack there in the makeshift beach kitchen oh she does he did say like do i have to make you a mixtape she's like yeah get right on that so uh kate's talking to jack and there's this a lot of this must be strange being back talk like, is it really? I mean, they weren't really gone that long. Like, uh, I mean, but, like, you are in a very scary situation, though. I mean, they, they were kidnapped. I guess it is the first time they've got, like, some downtime normal on the beach. And he even says, well, I'm sure something will cause us racing back into the jungle. Something will yeah, go wrong. Kate didn't stick around. Like, basically, she, like got her stuff, she she hung around, said hi to everybody, got her stuff, and then made a beeline back out into the jungle. So yeah, she hasn't been back, and uh, Jack didn't even get that. Um, But, you know, they're talking, but then Jack, they're talking about oatmeal, they're talking about all this stuff, but then Jack leaves to go have dinner with Juliet, and they're having a little flirtation over there. Um, so Kate seeing, not enjoying seeing this 
this uh, Juliet Jack flirting. Uh, Kate goes to Sawyer's tent and basically like is like be quiet and basically just jumps him. Yeah, I remember this from the first time around, and I didn't like it then, and I don't care for it much now. But I don't I'm know. I'm not thrilled with it either. I, I think probably back. I think I wonder if this is one of those things I don't care for that much now because I have the entire series in my head. Where at the time I can't remember how invested I was in in this love triangle or now rectangle square or whatever. I um, remember being very very frustrated by this. Uh, it's I, like I said, it's. It's stuff I I don't I just generally speaking don't care for love triangles in my in my media. And when they happen, I definitely don't want them to feel like they're right out of a CW show. And like, yeah, she's basically fucking Sawyer as a way to get back at Jack. And like, I don't know if this is just because she's sad or if she's overtly trying to make him jealous. Like, I don't know what the motivation is here. Do you think Kate is like if Jack were flirting with another passenger from the flight, do you think she would be having the, the this strong reaction? Do you think so much of it is the fact that it's just that it's it's Juliet, it's another who had them captured? Like how uh, much of that is just that, and how much do you think it's just? Because I kind of hope it's mostly because it's another and it's some other, like... Well, I mean, that's the thing. If, like, if Kate had walked in on, you know, in the previous season, if Kate had walked in on Jack and Anna Lucia sitting down and having a drink together on the beach, I don't think... I think she maybe might have raised an eyebrow, but I don't think she would have been, like... I don't think she would have immediately marched into Sawyer's tent. <laughs> so you're you're absolutely right. A lot of this is um, just the fact that he has this weird connection with Juliet, who was one of their captors that she just can't understand. So, like, I I get what they're going for here. That doesn't mean I have to like it, you know? And Sawyer... Um... Uh, is very quick to pick up on this, too. Like he's a con man; he knows how to read people. Uh, yeah, he, he knows he, that she come. She came in here upset. She didn't come in being like, "Hey, no." She came in and she was just like, "I'm not crying. You're crying. Shut up." Um. He plays Jack in a game of ping pong. He comes over and Jack is flirting <laughs> with Juliet. They're, I mean, it's blatant flirting. Yeah. And and um, Sawyer comes in. He's like, hey, let's play ping pong. And Sawyer can actually beat Jack at ping pong. So he's excited <laughs> like, uh, you know. Um, he has to feel better about getting thoroughly dunked on by Hurley. <laughs> and then when they're playing... Uh, it comes up that Jack had had dinner with Juliet last night. And Sawyer's like, ah, now it all makes sense. Yeah, Sawyer can put two and two together. So he shows up at Kate, to Kate, 
brings her a tape, not quite a mixtape. It's the best of Phil Collins. <laughs> hey, does it have in the air tonight? If it I was doesn't, thinking, then you can take this tape right back. I was thinking because that's just like a week ago from when we're recording this, probably God knows when, but that had like kind of a cultural resurgence uh, like a week ago, that song. Oh, so. yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, I, I actually do like Phil Collins. I didn't understand. I, I know for some reason when I was a teenager, it was like cool to like rag on Genesis and Phil I Collins. And it, I'm like, I don't know why. I love their stuff. I think it's one of those things that was good. And then like, it was like bad, but now it's good again. It, it became popular to to rag on the thing that was previously popular. Yeah. Uh, yes. All right. Yeah. Like I will, I will fully admit that I don't have any like musical. I will not, I will not lie and say that I am a, all that versed in the musical world. So I, I really don't know a, a lot about what people consider good music and bad music, but like my parents grew up, like I grew up listening to my parents' records of Genesis and Phil Collins. And so I always just assume I'm like, I I like them. Uh, I thought they were good. <laughs> here's a great example. And this is a very Long Island example. I, uh, me and everyone I knew grew up liking Billy Joel. Billy Joel, great songwriter, Long Island. You know, our parents listened to it. When we were kids, we listened to it. We all liked Billy Joel. Then it became Tenny Uppis in high school. None of us would have liked Billy Joel, even maybe in college, like, yeah, Billy Joel. Now me and all those people really love Billy Joel again. Go see him in concerts because Billy <laughs> Joel was always good. We just got like a little like too cool for school. My guess is that's the same thing with You just Collins. lost sight of what was important along the way. <laughs> yeah. And it was Billy Joel. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so he comes to her with the best of Phil Collins and then he says... Uh, he says, uh, he basically says, hey, you don't need to use me. All you have to do is ask. Because he knows. Honestly, knows. as much as I hate the love triangle and as much as I hate Kate going over to Sawyer's tent and banging him out of what I think is spite, <laughs> I I really dislike that that particular plot point. I... I don't care for it. It makes me angry and upset. But you know what? To Sawyer's credit, what I do love is that all of the melodrama is sort of just completely evaporates from the situation because he's not upset. Like, he did a lot of his sulking earlier this season. And right now, he's he's just like, yeah, no, if, if, you, just, if you want to be with me in some twisted way to get back at jack like i'm cool with that like that's fine and i'm just like oh like like i said i i i feel like in like an earlier part of this show or if this was like a cw show or something like that he would have blown up at her he would have been like i can't believe you used me like that or or something like that and but in here he's just like oh no no doesn't bother me and so that is I hate the plot point, but I do like that they but, don't blow it up to being overly melodramatic. Um, 
So, Megan, my question for you is, what is your man in black? I am torn between that sex scene and, or, or really just the plot point of Kate sleeping with Sawyer to spite Jack. I am torn between that and kind of overtly shoving in the Abraham Isaac metaphor into the into the vision scenario because I feel like there are better I feel like there are better metaphors than Abraham and Isaac like I Cassandra would have been I, good. I, I don't I don't think it needs it and then it makes you wonder does the whole monastery thing only exist for that metaphor to work? And then it doesn't quite work. And I I don't know. But the monastery thing, I think, does work on a bigger level of this man really just running away from things. And that's a crazy way to have somebody run away. That's true. And so I'm going to give it to, you know, not to sound like a broken record, but I'm going to give it to the love triangle stuff that I will always hate and dislike. So, like, I, I I can rationalize Desmond trying to rationalize the Abraham thing, but I cannot rationalize the the love triangle stuff. I just can't. I'm going to give you my man in black and Jacob back to back, if you don't mind. Go for it. My man in black is flirting because when Jack is flirting with Juliet and when Soy, like all that flirting in the love triangle feels so forced especially when put up against my Jacob, which is flirting, the (laughs) fantastic flirting that is going on between um, uh, uh, Desmond and Penny, which feels so natural and so real. But uh, one more point to the love triangle, which fits into the, the, the flirting, is these characters... And this is, I think, where this love triangle or square could have gone really well, but it doesn't. And it's that these people don't know what they want. These are confused people. They have been through a many traumas. They don't know what they want in partners. They don't know what they want in relationships. It's probably why Jack and Kate eventually, when they're off the island, doesn't work. They don't know if they want to be with each other. You know, Sawyer and Juliet eventually make it work, but they have, like, literally a lifetime on the island together kind of thing. Uh, that th- that makes more sense before that happens. But the problem is, the show isn't addressing it on those grounds. The show is more trying to go for a, I think, a traditional love triangle of jealousy and things i don't think the show is taking on what's to me what could be interesting of yeah i mean these these survivors of this traumatic experience multiple traumatic experiences um trying to find solace in each other and the the misguided ways in which they try to do that and i think that stuff is there but the shows doesn't use it they lean on for lack of a better word what you said the like cw-ness of it sometimes it doesn't go full seat it doesn't go the this might come some of the closest to it it doesn't go the full seat. it's a better show than like dawson's creek or something like that but it, it 
it's just, it's like there's potential yeah. there to make it more interesting and also ultimately knowing that some of it doesn't really end up going to a lot of places makes it a little more frustrating yeah and and to me it's doubly frustrating too because again there's that knowledge that kate was supposed to be the main character and now all she seems to be doing and don't get me wrong you know she still has moments where it's she's great and wonderful but like this is really a turning point where she goes from being a character with agency and who is competent and knows what she's doing and is calculating and everything like that to being like a teenage girl who doesn't know what kind of boy she wants to be with and it's just like it's it's frustrating there was a better way that they could have played this and still given us the love triangle um, yes, absolutely. Megan, so I've said my Jacob. What's your Jacob? Uh, I love the structure of this episode. And I don't, mm. um, I, I really do. Because giving us the vision first and foremost. Um, and it's it's only because we have the hindsight of how Charlie actually dies that removes the narrative tension for, you know, people like us who have the whole series in their head. Um, but I think like if uh, upon a first watch, like that's there the entire episode. And I, I think it's really good. And then you also have that, um, as you pointed out earlier, that excellent intercutting between climbing up the tree and the moment Desmond and Penny met um, for this episode's, shortcomings when it comes to uh <laughs> how certain relationships play out um it more than makes up for it in the way that in, in its dramatic structure and how all of that shakes out it's really good and also it's it's not enough to be my man in white but i love the little moments in this episode uh jin telling a scary story Hurley uh, offhandedly mentioning the chupacabra as his potential scary story. The then whistling. Yeah, the whistling. Um, convincing Jin to go camping. Uh, and even Sawyer and Jack doing their their table their table tennis. It, like these are really, really fun, tiny little moments. It, and the mixtape, too. Like these are fun, tiny little moments that reinforce that these people have been through a lot together and that ultimately, you know, for all the nonsense that goes on and for all the drama that goes on, they all have become friends and a family. And so I, I love, I love all the little moments here. So this is all in all this episode. It's not the best. It's not the best Desmond episode. Um, but that being said, there's still like the the pros in this episode still vastly outweigh the cons that are there. Oh yeah, I think it's ultimately a good episode too. Uh, and it's it, a net positive, although with that love triangle stuff, it definitely comes close. <laughs> and it has a good cliffhanger of who is this woman? Now there's somebody new on the island. Where did they come from? Yeah, um, oh, Naomi, where did you come from? And then where did you go? That's so, what I'll be asking myself. <laughs> Megan, where can the people find you? Uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Manguin. That's T H E M E N G U I N. I also have a YouTube channel called Silver Screams, uh, where me and my co-host talk about horror things. And I'm a member of Rooster Team Radio, where me and my co-host talk about Rooster Teeth-related projects. So go check those out. 
And you can follow me on Twitter at the real will link. And, uh, you know, buy my book on Amazon, Crazy About Kurt, uh, talks about Billy Joel and Long Island in it. So two things I referenced in this episode. <laughs> you don't say. So there you go. So until next time, see you in another life, brother. Hey there, everybody. I'm Will Link of No Love Lost. With me as always. Megan Salinas. Hey, everybody. And we're here to talk to you about the podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Uh, Yeah, the podcast Jukebox Network has been super supportive of us as we venture back to the island. Uh, And so we just wanted to take a minute to thank uh, them and to let you guys know that you guys should be supporting the other podcast put on by this fantastic network. If you are enjoying No Love Lost, definitely give a listen to many of the other podcasts, many of which are far less vanilla than we are. Uh, uh, Off the Cuffs, which is kind of the flagship show of the network. It is the BDSM kink podcast that kind of launched this whole network uh, off. You've got the Goth Librarian podcast. You have Being There podcast, a great storytelling podcast. You have The Queers Next Door, also on the network. Uh, Proud to be Kinky. Uh, Drinks with God. And a little podcast that's close to my heart, Megan. What is that one called? Will Sean Podcast? Yeah. Will Mm -hmm. he? I don't know. Spoiler alert. uh, Not as frequently as usual. (laughs) But you should definitely subscribe to all these shows. Rate them. Listen to them on iTunes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, These are all fantastic storytellers. It's so important to be sex positive. So go support these other podcasts. And uh, yeah, if you like us, you might like them. Who knows? Yeah. (laughs) It makes sense. We're on the same network. (laughs) So yes, rate and subscribe to all these terrific shows. And don't forget to rate them all five stars. And also rate us five stars. Yeah, while you're at it, you're listening to us. Might as well give us a rating. (laughs) You're already there. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, guys.